0: UK Motor Talk. Well hi everyone, we're back, we are UK Motor Talk and I'm Mike. And I'm Graham. Hello. And I'm Dave. Hello. How are we all? I I think pretty good. We're we're back after the the Easter break. We're good. This is nice. We've been given a few days off. So we've we've had what is probably the Mondayest Tuesday ever, I think. But what's new with you guys? What have you been up to?
1: Well, uh, I spent uh, far too much time on the roads over the weekend, supposedly uh, as a bank holiday. So you're responsible. Well, uh, you know, I said to myself, nah, I'm not going to go out. I hate going out over the bank holiday weekends. Because the road is full of lunatics, even more so than usual, uh, and all those lunatics that don't normally go out on the roads at all are there. And there you but are. I, I ended up getting <laughs> stuck with a with a with a fairly uh, urgent collection from Gatwick. So uh, I did manage to avoid the um, M25, though, which was I um, gather just about static most of the time that I was on the road. So I had some interesting back road driving to compensate. So it was, it was great fun
2: definitely preferable to the m25 in my experience
1: anything is
2: yeah (laughs) i spent a fair bit of time driving or being driven over the weekend but actually oh oh yes yes being lord dave yeah well makes a change well the the thinking behind it was um as you may or may not be aware i'm now back in the office three days a week which yeah lucky you yeah, lucky me, in <laughs> which, which involves driving, but it's infinitely preferable to the train, which it shouldn't be. It should be the other way around. I should be being encouraged to get on a train, but at £43 a day for the privilege of going in and out of London, um, I can't absorb that. And until they make that cheaper, I shall be sitting on the app five days and one minute before the uh, booking time expires for the car parking spaces at work. And, you know, this is the first time I've had to drive in and out of work. Regularly, regularly ish since, well, basically two years ago. And it is noticeable that whilst the roads aren't exactly deserted, they are quieter. People are definitely yeah. working more from home or are taking advantage of the train tickets that are being offered to try and entice people back on the trains, which unfortunately don't work for me because I can't plan my days so easily. It, I'm probably cursing myself here. I'm probably going to hit the mother of all traffic jams next time I drive in. But to be fair, it's not as bad as it was. So you know, it, I, whilst I'd far rather still be working from home, if I have to go in and I am under my own steam and it's not so bad, then
1: it could be worse. My benchmarks that, uh, because I, I live uh, in a village and a number of the local villages, commuter villages, every time I drive past any of the local stations, I just sort of eyeball the car parks. And whereas most of the local car parks would ordinarily pre-COVID be absolutely chock full, it's still only a third to a half full. So there's still a lot of people mm. out there that aren't going up to town. I'll tell you what I've noticed.
0: And that is that everyone used to drive around a lot quicker than they do at the moment. I don't know if they're saving fuel, but pretty much everyone is, except for electric car owners, I've noticed. Uh, there was there was a, a lady in front of me today, and she was an older lady. She sat there, and there was a car sat next to her, getting ready to go, a Volvo, but, you know, a relatively sporty one, if such a thing exists. And uh, she just oh, pinned oh, it ouch. and disappeared. Just absolutely disappeared in this little electric mini. I, I, I thought it was hilarious. I mean, they, they are they are pretty quick, but of course, if you're an electric car, you can just put your foot down. You don't have to worry about fuel prices and things, do you? Uh,
2: I can I can trump you there. If we're playing electric cars, not trumps, I experienced my very first Tesla Plaid today, a Model S, Ooh. at a set of lights. I think you'll agree if you've ever seen, say, a Model S with the twin motors take off from a set of traffic lights. The first time, or the first or couple of times you see it happen it does completely reset your points of reference for what makes for a fast car because this thing just disappears at a rate of knots with no noise, no drama, no wheel spin. It just digs down, and it was here, and then it was there. The Plaid Mm. takes that and weaponizes it. This thing Mm. went away from me on a set of lights. I think it was going out on the A4, so it could very well have been a Tesla uh, demonstrator or something. A lot of people around there do have Teslas and that part of West London. But this thing just completely vanished. It's like when people say they've seen a UFO and one minute it was here and the next minute it wasn't. It was just like that. And having been inside a Tesla Model S when it's done its business very, very fast away from standstill, uh, I can tell you now, having your organs rearranged in just the cooking version was enough, but God only knows what it's mm. like in the plaid.
0: They are
1: quick. They've been putting a few of them uh, a few months ago, I think, towards the end of last year, on drag strips in uh, in the States, and, and they've just been recording some extraordinary times. Mm.
0: Oh, yeah. Again, some some really serious-looking stuff, and it kind of makes it look a bit silly to an extent, doesn't it? When you, when you pitch up and you're in something that is very purposeful and traditionally, as we would think, quick, and then you... <laughs> And then just get blown away by, by an you know, electric hatchback, sedan, whatever it might be. I had um, a couple last week who, who bought a um, a, a Mac E from us, and uh, the husband over the weekend sent. This was on Thursday. Sent me a, an email on on the, on Friday saying, "Yes, we need to have another one, please, because he wants one too to get rid of his. He's had a, a diesel um, Merc." Uh, it's just it's just entirely different. He just went from being you know, open about the idea of electric bits and pieces to completely completely convinced and just decided he needed one himself. Wow! Which I, which I guess is a glowing endorsement of, of the electric car, not necessarily you know the the, the Mackie as, as it is, but of electric cars in general. Is a completely different way of driving, very smooth when you want it to be and, and relaxed and calm. Or otherwise just ballistic. There's no doubt that it can improve certain cars. Just having that, that augmentation of, of electric is something that we're seeing now appear in motorsport. Of course we've seen it in Formula 1. We've seen it recently in the WRC as well. The um, the hybrid Puma doing particularly well. And things have suddenly got a lot more complicated in the BTCC.
1: Yep, BTCC have gone hybrid. <sighs> a complete change, as we've had with F1 this year. Complete change of just about everything. Body shapes are generally still recognisable, but underneath uh, it's all changed and they've gone hybrid. And I have to say I read the hybrid uh, motor combination description uh, today without fully understanding it, so uh, perhaps somebody will be able to explain it to me in a minute. But essentially what seems to be the case is taking away the uh, weight ballast penalties that have been the case for a number of seasons now, and replacing them with uh, essentially a, I think it's a sixty volt battery. Yep, sixty volt battery, which can give a brief charge, and depending on how successful you've been in previous races, you get more of a boost or less of a boost, as, as I sort of understand it. Uh, and it doesn't last very long. So um, if you can imagine a sort of uh, DRS type system uh, and not many people understood that when it was first out so enlighten me as to the the detail of uh, how the two systems work because as I say I read it and I didn't fully understand it which worries me a little bit because then is the audience going to fully understand it so yeah, so it, it is it is a little bit complicated so before you had success
0: ballast which they obviously mounted down low in the passenger footwell or wherever they wanted to to try and Balance everything out and, and have it in the most effective place. Um, now you get given a bit of a boost. So the hybrid system itself, it does use a sixty volt battery, which will have a bit of weight to it. It gives you up to fifty brake horsepower, which I think is a, a useful boost to performance. And yeah, depending where you are in the rankings, you get more or less time being able to use it. So if you're at the front, it's basically nothing. Uh, and then as you get towards the back it's 13 and a half seconds, uh seconds if you're in 10th and then everyone after 10th they, they get 15 seconds of of extra boost which doesn't sound like a lot but if you're using that coming out of a corner or something then potentially it does give you enough to be to get past you know, a few people i think
2: it's going to be beholden on ITV4 whose coverage is generally really good and they've been a long time supporter of BTCC and uh, you know enjoyed very much there their weekends they're gonna have their work cut out trying to explain some of this and if they yeah. can then obviously we're we're on to a good thing and if anyone can do it it'll be them they they do do a good job but it, it like graham said and as as you've described my it it's a little bit complicated and i think it's going is. to take a while for people to get their head around as it will with anything new we've obviously we've we've gotten the new formula one regs to get used to this year now we've got um now we've got b t c c got they not leave us alone just when you think you're getting a handle on things, but I think generally it's a it's a great thing, and it's going to sort of mix things up and you know looking forward to the season very much.
1: My only concern was is how long it's going to take the public to fully understand that system um and I mean we're now in season eight or nine of formula e, and one of the things that's been notable with that from its its earliest days is the fact that they've had to simplify, 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 because it was simply mm. too complex to be fully understood. And it stopped being entertained. Well, I think in its earliest days, it wasn't that entertaining because if you weren't fully cognizant of all of the rules and the implications thereof, you couldn't enjoy it as a race. Mm. I, I think... This this
0: is going to become, as you say, that bit more complicated. And if you, you read through the rules, as I was saying, you know, if you could use that power coming out of a bend, then it would give you quite an advantage. Under this system, theoretically, as I understand it, you can't actually use this until you're already picking up some pace, so about 75. So you're going to need to be cornering at some speed. And if you're in a traction zone, you also can't use it because it then gives you too much advantage over everyone else. So there you're getting some help for the handicap system where you can use this help is quite limited and i think if you are pacing around a circuit trying to figure out when you can and can't use your extra power it is going to make things complicated it's got the potential to make things quite close is it going to make enough of a difference when you're doing 75 and up unless you're at full throttle I don't know. I I just don't know. I don't know whether it is going to be as effective as it it can be in other forms of motorsport. I I think the cars are going to be quicker, but I don't know. I'm
1: just really not sure. I'm just hopeful that uh, it becomes perhaps a a bit less of a contact sport, because I think certainly over recent seasons, uh, the whole touring car thing has become a, a little too aggressive, and I think that has spoiled the entertainment value of it. Uh, and i've you know i've been following touring cars since the late 80s very early 90s and it has become i think in the last 5 6 years a little bit too aggressive and i i don't remember it being like that maybe maybe it's my rose tinted spectacles in reverse but i don't remember it being quite so aggressive the big wing cosies the the rs500 and you know Ooh. the m3s and and the the, the merk 250 16 you know, they were, they were just great cars, and they didn't drive them intentionally into each other, I think. Maybe some did, but it was entertaining. You think it's a bit cleaner, perhaps? I think it was. I, 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 I don't think it was quite the investment. I mean, there was a lot of money. If you were going to go play in the touring cars, you had to be spending a lot of money. But you didn't want to have to rebuild the car completely after every round, particularly as um, they're now doing three races per day. And, uh, you know, you, you've got to have the car survive that. You can't rebuild it mm-hmm. every time. I mean, they certainly had
0: a bit of a coming together even on the press day, uh, which raised
1: a few eyebrows. There's been some
0: fantastically tense moments there. You are, uh, if you are, if you do go back to the Super tours, the stuff of the, the 90s, the stuff of the 80s as well, I think the moment that always sticks in my mind is the, I'm going for first, says Cleland, uh, which is perhaps one of the, one of the finest moments <laughs> of BTCC. <laughs> what a brilliant bit of commentary as well absolutely
1: hilarious a, a lovely man lovely man john cleland yeah <laughs> even if even, even if the first time you came to goodwood he did bin it straight away but there you go very wow. very nice guy first time uh, i drove uh, volvo 850 he was my uh, coach um that was at silverstone on the grand prix circuit and it had only just arrived And uh, it was a left-hand drive, and I'd spent all day in all of the other cars I'd driven that day getting apexes as just as tidy and nice as I could get them. And suddenly I'm in a left-hand drive Volvo and I'm six foot away from every apex. It was (laughs) very disheartening, but he was a a smashing chap to spend some time with. See, I quite enjoyed racing left-hand
0: drive, driving left-hand drive fast. I went, last I was at Silverstone, I was taken around by a Le Mans driver and he was he was my instructor and uh i was in a left-hand drive vantage one of the new vantages and it was superb I, I really was i was expecting it to be harder being left-hand drive I, I drive a fair amount of left-hand drive cars just through the nature of everyday work so i've kind of got a bit more used to it but you tend to find yourself punching the uh, the armrest on the door of yourself when you go to change gear uh oh. and And this didn't happen. And I don't know whether it's just because I was using the paddles and so it doesn't matter if you're on one side or the other. But I found it really, really refreshing. I managed to get some some pretty good pace on the other cars. Uh, And to be fair, I suspect it's probably because the instructor was that good. He was absolutely superb and he was encouraging me to to look through each corner and and just basically go for it as much speed as we could possibly get out of this thing we had out of it
2: i think i'm right in saying that the reason that racing cars for a very long time when they were still two seaters they were right hand drive for a very long time because you were closer to the apex on clockwise circuits which were the predominant and, that, and still are, the predominant mm. nature of racing circuits. And that's why you sort of see a lot of cars from the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s even, when they were still two-seaters, are right-hand drive. And as you know, as we do come from a right-hand drive country, it's, uh, it's quite nice <laughs> to see. Yeah. Even though you can have a little bit of pride in being on the wrong side from the rest of the world
1: sometimes when you see things like that. Or am I mistaken? I think you're right. If you look at the earliest French racing cars, they were all right-hand drivers as well. Because briefly, before the First World War, France drove on the right. Didn't know that. There you go.
0: I think you're right about clockwise circuits. I'm just trying to think about any that I've driven on being the other way around.
1: Uh, I'm sure they've all been clockwise. I'm I'm trying to do the same mental juggling, and I'm trying to think of the circuits I've driven on. And I think they've all been clockwise. Clockwise, that I can recall. Hmm. I, yeah. I wonder if there's a reason for that. Was it just that that was the way
0: that airfields generally ran? Because m- most of the, the circuits in this country, or a lot of the circuits in this country, of course, were perimeter roads of airfields, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. They've been developed from from World War Two, and and not on a lot of them. um Obviously, there's there are some that before, but if you think about the likes of. A, a Goodwood's an obvious example of this, isn't it? It is the the perimeter road, mm-hmm. um, and I wonder whether
1: Wait, d- ditto Thruxton, ditto Snetterton. Yeah. not Alton Park. Um, Where else can I think of? Donington, I don't know well enough to comment. But uh, Thruxton, I've always liked as a circuit, very quick. Uh, Don- yeah, I mean Donington's is clockwise, um... with the exception that proves the rule. The
2: first purpose-built racing circuit in the world, and I'm doing some PR for them again, hello uh, Brooklands, is Brooklands, because <laughs> obviously so. that, huh? that goes very much anti-clockwise as anyone well, not so much anymore. pick well, <laughs> bits of it, most, most of it still goes, the bit that you can still go on, you can go anti-clockwise on. Yes. And I, I know I've been there an awful lot. But yeah, anyone who's seen that famous photo of uh, John Cobb in the Railton taking off over a bump mm. on the banking will know that yeah. they are going anti-clockwise. Yeah. And so, I know
0: yeah. we've said it many, many times before, but my God, balls of steel, I think, to be, be driving around Brooklands. It is so steep. Milbrook is, uh, is, is, is the wrong way round, I suppose. Oh, yeah, it is, isn't
1: it? It is. Yeah. yeah, quite so.
0: Yeah. What about Nardo? Is Nardo the wrong way round?
1: Hmm. No, I think Nardo is clockwise, I think. Yeah. I, I'm just trying to recall the bits of film that I've seen of people testing stuff at very high speed there.
2: <laughs> I just hmm. remember the, um, the XJ220 and the McLaren there. Where yeah, they de- they de-restricted the XJ220, so it would do the 220, if I remember. <laughs> it's a bit of PR at work there. Yes, sorry, we put a V6 in the back; it was
0: meant to be a V12. But look
2: how quick it goes!
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm not too I'm not too fussed by the power plant. I think If it's got if it's got potential to go that quick, and I think this is the the thing about electric now it, it has. <sighs> you could put an electric electric motor in something, and it, it goes incredibly quick. We're, we're fortunate enough that we have an incredible back catalogue of Beautiful sounding V8s, V10s, V12s, and V6s, or what have you. And if you want to have something just for the pure noise, then you can just just have a flick through the catalogue, look at Italy, point at pretty much anything that's got a prancing horse on it, or you know, a dancing bull, or whatever you like. Um, Or a Trident. Yeah, or a Trident. I have to get a word in for Maserati there. (laughs) Yeah, there (laughs) there are some beautiful sounding cars out there, aren't there? And definitely Mazzars are up there. So why not? If you want to do that, that's fine. If you're pure sole purpose is going quickly, then I can, I can see where electric is going to come in.
1: I may have told this story before, but I used to live in a Hampshire village, which was in a valley, with a very steep, windy hill down to it. A blast through the village and a right turn across a bridge and then a long straight road that led out towards Winchester. And I don't know, don't know who the guy was, but there was a 60s uh, Maserati 3500 GT. And you used to hear him from miles away down through the gears, through the village, and up through the gears as he sped off towards it. Just, just an oral delight. I would stand in the garden and just listen to this on a Sunday as he came through the village. And, it, you know, he wasn't going particularly fast. It was just the delightful sound of that of that engine. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just going to wind back. You know we were
0: saying, obviously, right-hand drive and racing. There's a lot of left-hand drive rally cars, and I'm I'm just trying to figure out what the difference is here. There must be a reason for this. Probably
2: because the majority of the cars that they're based on are designed to be left-hand drive first, so the cars are optimized for that setup. So everything, I mean, famously, there's there's cars that have been converted road cars that have been made left-hand drive first and then adapted for right-hand drive. I mean, the Golf. I think was one of them where it didn't work so well. There was a reason we couldn't have the G60 in right-hand drive because bits of the uh, engine were in the wrong place for the steering column, that sort of thing. The, yeah, I'm sure that I'm sure they're better at it now, but I'm sure it's a historical thing. And the majority of your rally drivers are probably more used to left-hand drive. Not that they couldn't drive equally as well in right-hand drive, but it
0: gives the majority the advantage. I suspect. Mm, I didn't know if it was a you know it gives you an easier. Because you, if you're right-handed, maybe it's easier to get the the gear shifts and and switches and bits and pieces. I just wondered if there was a reason for it. And The honest answer is I I don't know. Um, then there maybe there is a reason. I'll have a look. Go away after this, and and if there, if I can find a reason, I shall let you know. I mean, partly as you say, maybe in rally you, there are a lot of left-hand natural left-hand drivers. So you've got the the Swedish, the Finnish, all. all fantastic drivers on, on slippery surfaces a, a left-hand drive as you say lots of cars particularly stuff if you've ever worked anything from the 80s and, and early 90s particularly brakes for example are often actuated by a rod that goes across from one side to the other mm-hmm. they don't shift that round some cars as you say are set up to be best optimised for power the other way the um the imported the, the V8 Mustangs are, the, the GTs in this country have less horsepower because the way that the manifolds run because of things being in the way, uh, being in right-hand drive as opposed to left-hand drive, so it does add a complication. Complication, it, it generally speaking, isn't as reliable. So there's that, and maybe isn't as powerful. I, I don't know.
1: I, I'm guessing also that with rally cars, you you want to be as close to the original as possible, to do the minimum modifications. Uh, so swapping the steering, I think, would involve so much re-engineering of the front of the car that it just possibly isn't worth doing. I just honestly
0: don't know. If you know, write to us, tell us, or tweet us, or whatever you want to do to us. Um, you can find us on Telegram, actually. We are at UK Motor Talk pretty much everywhere that you you care to mention. We're available in most uh, good news agents uh, and, and other <laughs> stockists. Um, and not even on the top shelf. <laughs> well, sometimes. Uh, we are keen on, on an Escort and a Fiesta. <laughs>
2: Whilst we're sort of sticking with the uh, new motoring theme, electricity being the way forward, Mercedes seem to have uh, planted their flag in the electric world. And uh, news reaches us of the new Vision EQXX, which has demonstrated its world-beating efficiency and has done a 1,000 kilometres on one battery charge, which is about 600-something miles, I think. It's 620-odd, something like that. 600. It's It's not far off, and that's pretty good. That's... That's sort of good diesel distance, isn't it? Really, and that's an average consumption. Though this means absolutely nothing to me, even though I do have various qualifications in electrical stuff. Uh, an average consumption of eight point seven kilowatts per one hundred kilometers. So anyone with a calculator that can convert that into real world, that sounds good. But I'm sure others who are better qualified can tell me
1: that, that is quite impressive and quite a breakthrough. I think uh, they're really pushing the envelope. I think in terms of uh, duration, that makes a, a, a quick. GT like dash across Europe, eminently possible, you know. Which it it hasn't been. Well, mm. that's that's pretty
2: good. Apparently, it travelled from uh, Sindelfingen, which is in Germany, across the Swiss Alps and northern Italy to Cassis on the Cote d'Azur, and that's in everyday traffic apparently on a single charge, and it still had 140 kilometres remaining, uh, which basically says it had 15 percent of its battery still in use. So whilst range anxiety was probably starting to be something in the minds of those piloting it i think that sounds like the sort of thing i could live with it's and it was used in real world as well it included autobahn runs slow stop start even rain and horrible weather so they had the wipers and the heaters and the lights on and all sorts so
0: hats off to mercedes that's
2: pretty impressive
0: in the real world if you're using it as an actual car
2: what was this doing kilowatt hours 8.7
0: yes i mean it, real world that's that's exceptional I mean Really, really economical it's kind of like the equivalent of picking up your uh your your, your 45 miles to the gallon car and then jumping into something that would, that will obviously do 60 70 miles to the gallon it, i'm not sure how that maths equates in in truth but it is
1: it is impressive it is impressive Is i guess is the point i'm trying to make you could commute for a month on on, on a charge the, yeah. the distances that you sort of travel and uh, david it would suit you very well because you're unfortunately <laughs> yeah. thrown back into commuting
2: it would be nice i mean i i did the first time i um I went back into town. I did take my own car, being a sort of nice it's slush well, it's not a slush matic, it's actually a very good DSG. And I thought I'd um I'd take that. And it was it was lovely, just point and go and stop start traffic. But um in the real world, I'm getting twice the uh, or half the consumption, depending on which way you look at it, using um, a one-litre EcoBoost Fiesta. And um, whilst I have to change my own gears, it's no great hardship, to be honest, compared to how much I was shelling out to fill the tank
0: of the Skoda. Mm, it is getting very expensive to, to to run a car on petrol. And I, I, expect, I know we've spoken about it before, but I expect you guys are all finding the same on the newer E10 stuff. The economy just isn't as good. I was, I was getting, and it's not not great news to be honest for the Mini, which will do somewhere between sort twenty two and if you're very careful twenty nine mpg. Uh, I I was getting to to a full tank around about two hundred and twenty five miles, maybe two hundred and fifty miles. And I guess if you are really careful, you can get sort of three, maybe maybe three fifty on the super stuff if you if you were really granning it about. It's now down to about one hundred eighty five. The two because most of my journeys are warming up for a, for a minute drive it to work and it's, it's it's five mile journey and then and then sort of switch it off so it doesn't have much economical driving but 185 miles to a tank that is that's painful really considering the the prices now and it, it does seem to be that it's this is this new fuel so with each tank goes in an octane booster and that helps
1: it a bit but it's definitely not the same we were talking fairly recently about the best places to to buy petrol And uh, in the small town near me, it's a garage I very, very rarely use. But I was low on fuel. I needed to pop in and get a little bit to get me to the next supermarket forecourt, which I was actually aiming for. And I I looked at the pumps, this very tiny forecourt, only two pumps. And and I thought, there's no E10. So I put E5 in at a ridiculous cost. I think it was 177, I think it was a litre. And I said to the to the guy inside, who I happen to know owns this place, "What about uh, where, where's the No. 10 on the forecourt? I'm not having that stuff on my forecourt. It ruins cars, you know." And I, he gave me chapter and verse on it, and it was like um, it was like uh, hearing, you know, he'd got a he'd got a very country accent anyway, but it, it was like I'm not going up in one of them newfangled hairy planes, no, you know. It's, <laughs> It was it was quite comic, really. Uh, the fact that this guy, for whatever reason, we know there are limitations for certain vehicles with, with E10 fuels. You fuel the carb basically. As far as he was concerned, E10 was the devil's brew, and you wouldn't run and you wouldn't even run your Zippo lighter on it.
2: My car, I will only ever put super in, and I have paid pretty much what you've just quoted there mm. At a we, at we a dare major, not even say you know, the
0: number that we've no, got to that no. point now it hushed tones no, we talk about oh god i've just had to forgive forgive me father for i, I, I you know i've e
2: if you want to see a grown man cry on zoom then i will mention it no, it's <laughs> it painful this is the reason i'm not driving this thing into west london it's it's now back to doing what it was meant to do high days and holidays and it's fantastic at that. The noise it makes and the accelerator, it's it's just brilliant. I love it. But it's it's not a commuting kind of matter. You'd have to be an assist or someone if you were going to try and do that. But the we do put E ten in the in the fiesta and whilst, you know, I am still getting far more favourable figures on the on the instant readout and the average readout, it's definitely lower than I recall. And Mm. we are getting less out of a tank but we are balanced off that because the, the stop-start wasn't working for a long time. We had a new battery put in, and we tried everything, and then I found the, the secret combination of button pushes and pedal pushes and all that oh, on the yes. internet, and lo and behold, it's cutting out in traffic again when I want it to, obviously, and I think that's probably helping considerably. It's so nice. I never thought I'd ever want that feature working properly, but it does seem to work very well in that car, and um, so it's probably helping a little bit.
0: It's pretty cool. I mean, those, those little EcoBoost engines are super economical, and they, and they are quite perky. You get the, the turbo cuts in about 1,500. Yeah, the um, But I, uh, I did an economical drag race in one against my best mate in, in – he had a VW Fox, rather, his, his wife did, and we drove back uh, across the coast from Brighton, and I managed 64 point something, 64.6, I think it was, and then 72.9. so How is that even possible to get that out of a petrol engine? I mean, that, that was properly, you know, coasting everywhere I could possibly coast, being as gentle as I possibly could with a throttle, maximum anticipation, no braking, all the rest of it. But the fact that's that's possible. And then when I had a 215 horsepower, the four-cylinder, and not the same engine, but 1.6 turbo in a Fiesta ST, that was doing 42 and a bit if you weren't being careful. And if you were being sensible about it, mixed driving, it was getting 47. It's, it's mad as the, the the performance you can get out of a modern engine. I think we've reached that point now where we've peaked, and we've hit this. These uh, like we have diesel particulate filters, which are ruining diesels. The way that they drive these days, they're just nowhere near as torquey as they used to be. They don't just don't seem as powerful. And if you've driven one with a DPF and one without, you'll you'll know exactly what I mean. But cars have got these petrol particulate or, or gasoline particulate filters uh, and that's that seems to have done a similar sort of thing it's it's stifled them which means you don't get quite so much power which means you try a bit hard which means you don't get quite so much economy i just don't think i think we've we've reached a point where we've peaked we've gone over the top and i wonder whether manufacturers have given up investing in in any kind of petrol because what's the point um mm. we we've done as good yeah, as i think we're going to so. get and now we've got cars like this mercedes which is a great looking thing. I mean, if you think it's, it's designed to be super, super slippery, it's got a drag coefficient of 0.17 or something silly, which which is not a lot. It's, there's not a lot of drag going on there. But it doesn't look ugly like a Prius does. Um, sorry if you drive a Prius and you think it's the most beautiful <laughs> thing. It's You're wrong. It's not. No, it's um, not a looker. a no, pretty not. car. Not a pretty car. But this I is. Should... And I think it's the kind of car that you could own. And be proud of not just because of its eco credentials, but because it's a nice car, and it has doors, and it has seats, and you can sit in it, and you can presumably drop your kids to school in it, or whatever. It, it kind of it kind of makes sense as a car.
1: Really low drag cars. I always fancied one of those. Uh, I think condomated, made uh, it, Sunracer, that was almost entirely a Volta- voltaic photovoltaic cell, uh, which they sort of cool name. toured across Australia. Uh, and and I mean, it was hugely impractical, but a fascinating vehicle, nevertheless. It was like an electric tortoise, or, or <laughs> you know, it had sort of scales, photovoltaic scales. It was a really impressive-looking vehicle.
2: More an armadillo, yeah, like more a,
1: accurately, a wheeled like...
2: armadillo. I know exactly the one you mean. Yeah, it was mm. a wonderful thing, was I think I'm sure I've seen it in a museum somewhere. It was <laughs> perhaps it was Beaulieu or somewhere where they had it on loan. But da- yeah, I was just looking possible. at the EQXX or EQXX, take your pick. The back of it looks a little bit like the most recent Volvo S80. You
1: know, the just got se-
2: funny, funny lights at the back that sort of come outwards and down. It's it's a bit like that. It's, it's not unpleasant looking,
0: actually. It's purposeful. I thought you were going to say the Kia EV6. because oh, that as well, yes. Yeah, that mm. was what I saw. At the lights. The rear haunches on this thing are quite nice, though. It does have quite a sculpted shape. It has a, mm. a, a, a traditionally coupe-like Shave with that sort of, especially the way that the the windows are. This sort of teardrop down to the back. Yeah, I, I think it's a really nice looking car. The front, though, having said that, the front does look a little bit like that weird
2: Mitsuoka thing. Look it up, everyone. O r o c h i. It's um, got a face only a mother could love, and it's <laughs> uh, like a. Like a slightly gormless-looking fish with a smile on it. It's it's the thing. If you remember, there was an episode of Top Gear where they had to drive around Japan dropping off sumo wrestlers. James May drove oh, one. Yes. You, you'll know the thing. It just just got slight slight hints of that. But that being said, it's a fantastic-looking car. And if that's the future of electric cars, then so be it. I sign
0: me up. I'll have one. If it can do that many miles. For me, there's a bit of the VW IDR. If you remember the you know, the hill climb car off of Goodwood. Oh, about yes. The oh yes. I'm just something you said earlier, Graham, you mentioned about the solar panels on the roof. And I, I berated the Prius. But there was one thing that I, I really quite liked about it. And I, even cars that I don't like, I usually find one thing that I do. And that is that even going back, this is going back a, a few years now. Toyota fitted solar panels to the roof, and you can choose, I think, whether you want to have a full sunroof or some solar panels and the sunroof or whatever you That's on the top. What it does is it uses that power just to run the climate control so that the internal temperature side of the car stays where you want it to be. So then, someone, you come back to it. It's nice and cold. It's not boiling hot inside. And that's pretty clever. There are some some really clever things going on in the EV world. And certainly we've just leapfrogged. In the last few years, we just seem to have absolutely jumped forward in terms of what's accessible, what's possible in terms of EV. And and Dave, you're going to see a bit more about this, aren't you?
2: Yes, I'm very much looking forward to the uh, fully charged live show, which is taking place at the Farnborough International Airport or Farnborough Aerodrome, as we used to know it, or the Royal Aircraft Establishment. Take your pick. It's happening there on April the 29th, 30th, and the 1st of May. Uh, Yes, I'll be going along. It looks like there should be some quite interesting stuff there. If nothing else, I get to see the ID buzz in the flesh, which will be... a bit jealous. uh, Well, those who've been listening for a little while will know that we're all quite keen on that. So I'll be reporting back and hopefully talking to a few of the movers and shakers in the
1: electric car world. (laughs) Mm. I was just thinking, movers and shakers in an electrical context implies something different. (laughs) Press release came our way today which um, was fascinating if for no other reason and we do have to put the photos up for this because you won't believe what they've done to a mini until you actually see the photos. Poor thing. The press release is essentially for the 50th running of the Nürburgring 24 hours a local team, relatively local team, has entered a very, very special John Cooper Works Mini. And uh, in advance, as a spoiler alert on the photos, it's got <laughs> it's got the spoiler yes, alert. <laughs> yes, un, unintended on there, but it has the uh-huh. largest rear spoiler I think I've ever seen on anything other than a uh, perhaps a Porsche Langheck uh, Le La Mans car. It's uh, like a I mean, it, It's it's quite ridiculous.
0: Calling international rescue. Calling International
1: <laughs> Rescue. Well, you know, to, to overcome the wheelie effect of the rear spoiler, I think they're going to need a an enormous front splitter on it, which uh, will mean that they'll never run into the back of anything because the front splitter will have to be at least six foot long. But it's really stripped out and it's really rebuilt as a racer. Whether one would last 24 hours of the Nürburgring, I don't know. I don't know who's going to be driving it as yet as well. Um, but it sort of led me into a, a train of thought. I saw. Uh, the, the John Cooper Works, which is a slightly sore point of mine because I saw recently one of those overinflated big minis with uh, John Cooper Works plastered all over it. It was a countryman. It was extremely ugly. And uh, just John Cooper would have literally turned in his grave. He never saw the new mini because he was too early in bed. It was not long before he died. I I think he would have been okay with the new Mini, but not the overinflated version. And I think the it's just unfortunate using the, the 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 John Cooper Works epithet in in respect of any of them.
0: Well, um, John John Cooper was instrumental in in the development of the early new Minis, the R fifty three and the R fifty. Um, yeah. the R fifty three because he he accidentally blurted out what the R fifty three. This is the supercharged Mini, which is the one that, that I have what it was going yeah. to be because at the time it was entirely secret it was about two th- i think late 2001 early 2002 and he was talking about how having to shoehorn the supercharger in there everyone's like what <laughs> so hang on <laughs> a second john <laughs> would you <laughs> want to say that again because he's gone he, again he's, he's gone. hang on he's, he's literally just down the road from me um john the john cooper garages around yeah, the corner yeah. he and then and mike cooper of course they would have Trucks blocking, near enough blocking the, the railway Because it's literally just south of a really busy railway crossing yep. Just the other side of it And they yep. would have trucks and trucks and trucks of bits Coming in and going out to BMW As they are working on their the kits to convert cars over uh, And not not just the, the supercharged ones The, the early, uh, early minis, early new minis should I say as well And those, John Cooper, before Mini bought the name wholesale uh, mm. And were allegedly paying so much per badge per car um, to use the name. Yeah, he, they did a huge amount of work, um, John, John Cooper Garages. But let's say that the, the new big stuff, I, I'm not sure that really would have been his bag.
1: The Mini Beasts are huge. No, absolutely not. Huge. Michael was explaining that, as you've already alluded to, BMW suddenly realised, A, the Mini was much more successful than they anticipated. Michael Cooper. Yeah, John's son. And uh, they were paying so much money for, for the name that in the end, they made him an offer he couldn't refuse for, for the company. Uh, sadly, Dad had gone by then. But, you know, this is a John Cooper was a, was a fascinating man. I met him a number of times and he was the man that first spotted with Minis. He was a friend of Alec Isagonis. He was driving the Mini before it was available to anybody in sort of late 58, I think early 59. And he was the first man to see the potential of it for for, for motorsports and um, what a successful motor car it's been through all its iterations. So we do wish them well. And i uh, I say, another triggering thought was, I happened to be parked in the airport in Gatwick yesterday and there was a beautiful 65, 66 fully restored Cooper S. What oh, beautiful now you're chatting. Oh,
0: great,
2: great fun. Great fun. Twin fuel fillers and all, I expect. That's how you mm. tell them apart, wasn't it? Lovely, it. 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 Lovely things. I always thought they, they're they missing a trick. I know the name is possibly slightly um, tainted, well, certainly in Britain, which is where they sold probably about 99% of them. But why don't they just call the big Mini the Maxi
0: and just be done with it? <laughs> yeah. Yes, indeed. I'm not sure that the people they're targeting the Mini at would remember what the Maxi is. And I know that they well, go. They, they trade on the nostalgia of everything. But I think the the maxi, as you as you call it, I don't really understand why they make a five door standard size Mini, which is even more stretched and slightly odd oh, than ridiculous looking. I mean, thankfully, the new new Mini, when it comes out, is going to be resized, so it's going to be a bit closer to the original new Minis, which are, to my mind, the right sort of proportions.
1: I, I, they're uh, the perfect proportions, mm. as well. As yeah. the first one. And, yeah, and, those ones the best. They weren't always the easiest of drives, but they were great fun to drive. And, yeah, I, yeah, it was like a, I agree. it's like a high-powered skateboard. I think yeah. John Cooper's only uh, mistake he made, and he did say that there was a mistake that nearly killed him, was when he tried to produce a twin-engine one. <laughs> the, 20. <laughs> the twenty, the twenty, yeah, the, the the twenty Mini, and and uh, you know it was. I, I don't think it was ever intended as anything other than an interesting project. But it was a very, very dangerous, very contrary, uh, it was like a bucking bronco. And uh, as John Cooper said, the, the thing nearly killed him, he gave up on the process. It just wasn't a safe to be around. Great character. I mean, this is a man who uh, I think would be, uh, his party piece when his cars won a Grand Prix would be to do a somersault in the pit lane, but now he'd be, you know, horizontally rotating in his grave, some of the things that his name has been attached to.
0: Well, still, I mean, if nothing else, he can be proud of the fact that this is, yeah, a, a brand that's known around the world and that so many people love, enjoy, and there there are clubs that are dedicated to to cars that do have his name on it, and I, I guess people have that. That ideal image of, of what is a, a fast, sporty, well-made, well-handling little car, I guess. There are people out there that, that love what he's done for the world and he's had an impact and left a legacy. So what more can you ask for? And on that note, I guess it's probably time to end. So guys, it's been a pleasure chatting with you again. Join us next time when we will be testing a number of new and exciting vehicles. More about that soon. So from me, Mike, it's goodbye. From me, Graham, night folks. Take care. And for me, Dave. Take care. See you next time. Bye-bye. UK Motor Talk, a first take media production.